Hey, welcome back, guys. It's showtime. Got another episode of Real Talk for you this week with a returning guest, good buddy of mine, AB. AB, how you doing, man? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. We're gonna we're gonna break down a couple of fun topics this week. Obviously, we don't have too many uh, sport topics really going on right now, except for really two: uh, the NFL draft and the last dance the nba michael jordan chicago bull documentary on espn sound good yeah sounds good all right so let's go right into right into the last dance that's where i want to kick off so i reached out to you made sure that you had seen this so we could talk about it so far let's just talk episode one okay basically they give a a small a small flashback of michael jordan's college and early nba days it kind of shows that the Bulls make their preseason trip to Paris. But really, the, the episode, what it does most, in my opinion, is kind of shows that Jerry Krause, the, the GM of the team, wants a lot of credit. And what he's willing to do in order to get that credit is basically break up the Chicago Bulls, hence why this is called the last. So first off, what is your take on a GM in the the last year of a three-peat, potential three-peat, and you have six NBA titles hanging above your head. You have a Hall of Fame NBA coach. You have the greatest player that's ever walked the planet at the time, Michael Jordan. What is uh what's your take? What what would what are, what would you say if that was your NBA team today or NFL team? I just didn't understand it at all. I mean the it goes to the quote that he said where it was players don't win championships, organizations do. And, you know, I understand you got to have a coach out there calling the plays and whatnot. You got to have a GM put the team together, but it ultimately falls on the players. And he really just kind of had the ego that he was the reason for the success and he wasn't getting his due and it wasn't his right to have. I mean, those championships were clearly the responsibility of, Jordan Pippen and Phil Jackson that you know that core of three um I'd be infuriated as a Chicago Bulls fan um you have like you said at the time the greatest player of all time greatest coach of all time another Hall of Fame player um that second run bringing in Dennis Rodman Steve Kerr um the fact that you're gonna throw that away for an ego just blows my mind the the crazy thing is is so I understand he wasn't getting the credit that he felt he deserved, but he was responsible for Phil Jackson being there. It's not like one of those situations where GM comes in and coach is already in place and he feels he needs to bring in his guy. Phil Jackson was his guy, which you find out in episode four and maybe even a little bit in episode three. Actually, I think it, they even touch on it, but Jackson, he's the one Collins and Phil Jackson just the whole the whole idea that you're going to break up a championship dynasty is just wild to me and here's the thing it's not like it's not like they had shown any sign this happened right after the season that they win another title their their fifth title their second in a row and you say, hey, Phil Jackson, I don't care if you win 82 games and the NBA title, you won't be back next year. Then you you know for a fact Michael Jordan has said that Phil Jackson, if he's gone, I'm not playing. 
So now you're not just you're not just losing your coach at this point. You're literally giving up the franchise, the greatest player the NBA had ever seen, the greatest player your franchise had ever even looked at. It's just it's just wild to me. I could never even I can't imagine this. Yeah, I mean, and you look at the Bulls, you know, pre-Jordan, they were a laughing stock of the league. Um, yeah. Not even making the playoffs, let alone competing for championships. And even when Jordan was there, they weren't even sniffing the finals until, you know, Pippen had really established and was healthy and Phil Jackson was the coach. And, you know, I just, I just don't understand why or how Jerry Krause could even remotely take any of that credit. Yeah, well, going into episode two, you kind of learn a little bit more of what Jerry Krause had an impact on the team. So Scottie Pippen had signed a seven-year, and not, we don't see seven-year deals anymore in the NBA, but a seven-year deal for $18 million. Now, I want to put things in perspective. A above-average player in the NBA, not even an all-star, an above-average player makes $18 million this, in, the, in today's league. Okay. So Scotty Pimpin was making that over a seven-year stretch. He says in the documentary he did that simply to take care of his family, just to make sure that he had the money wrapped up long-term in case there was an injury or something like that. Because Scotty Pimpin wasn't a, a superstar coming out of college. It wasn't like he was Michael Jordan. So basically he thinks he has an injury, doesn't take care of it, going into the – the last dance, he then says, you know what? If I can't get a pay raise, I'm going to have this surgery. Well, you know, him and Jerry Krause, it shows on the documentary, they're getting into this this altercation. And basically, he was going to be traded. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I'm a big Tracy McGrady fan, as you know. Tracy McGrady was almost traded to Chicago for Scottie Pimpin, which would have been wild. Absolutely wild. But what was your take on the, the Scottie Pippen contract? What was your take on his his basically injury holdout, if you will? What, what's, uh, what do you got to say about all that? I'm usually a team first guy, and I believe that players need to honor, you know, honor their contract and whatnot. Um, Scottie Pippen's one of the few situations where I take an exception with. Um, you know, he wasn't really an all-star yet when he signed that deal. Um, he came from a home where two me- two immediate members of his family were in wheelchairs. You know, there was no – they it was not a wealthy family by any means. So he wanted to basically guarantee his family was set for life, and that was what that seven-year, $18 million deal did, obviously. Well, you know, then he blows up into, you know, being one of the probably top four or five guys in the league at the time. And he – I think it was the 122nd highest-paid player in the league. And wild. It's just it's just not even a close comparison there. Um, so he, you know, he wanted more money. He felt like he was directly responsible for the team's success, and I absolutely agree. Um, I don't think they have six rings without Scottie Pippen. And there was obviously the the butting heads again there with Jerry Krause and him thinking he could just rebuild again. And um, you know it. It sucks to see a situation like that. You know, you got a guy who's been loyal to the team for so long and given so much. Um, but just a kind of a crappy way to see it end. Yeah, but I don't want to get too far off this Pippa train. So it, it obviously goes through the first 
eh, maybe quarter of the season where where Pippen's out with his foot injury. And it's kind of showing the Bulls struggling, you know. And it, to be honest, it you're kind of in the same boat as me. I know we kind of agree on this, that LeBron James doesn't get his fair due, whether you think he's better than Michael or not. Some Jordan fans don't even give LeBron a conversation. Would you agree? Agreed. Okay. And they were, I think they came out of the gate. They were as bad as like nine and seven. Is that, was it even worse than that? Maybe. I think it was nine and six was the worst record at the time or seven and six, something like that. But they didn't start winning until they had a roughly around 12 wins where they started actually rolling off winning streaks. And, you know, they talk a little bit about, uh, you know, Dennis Robbins ability to jump in there and help, but it's just like, man, LeBron James was taking absolute scrubs in Cleveland in, in the early days. This is pre Miami. So before he ever went to Miami, LeBron James legitimately did not play with another all-star. No. And it was taking teams to the NBA finals. It's just like, I, you know, I'm sorry, Jordan, this is, we're talking, you're, you're 13 years into the league. You got to be better than this. Yeah. I mean, they were, I think seven and six at the time without Pippen that year. And I think they said the year before they didn't lose their sixth game until like March. <laughs> See, it was some yeah. crazy. Yeah. Well, they went 72 and 10. Yeah. It's. So, still in episode two here, where uh, they did a sh- they did a flashback where Jordan had a foot injury, and he basically worked his way back to what they say is about ninety percent. Well, the Bulls didn't want Jordan to play for that ten percent chance that he could potentially re-injure it, and then there goes their franchise, right? And it kind of showed you some early day tanking. What did you? What was your take on that? I would have understood it if it was purely the standpoint of, you know, this is our franchise player. This is the guy we're literally going to build around. 10% is too much of a risk to re-injure it. Let's just hold off for the rest of the year. It's not like we're going to win a title anyways. The, the issue I had is it was truly they did not want to make the playoffs. And they were adamant about it. And, you know, Krause had came down and said to the coach at the time, I don't remember his exact name, but – Jordan was on a minutes restriction and he said, if he goes one second over, you're fired. And it wasn't from the injury standpoint. It was from the, we want to lose this game and not make the playoff standpoint. And that's where I struggle with it a little bit is, is, you know, it's one thing to protect your player, protect your franchise, but it's another thing to say, no, we want to miss the playoffs. We want a good pick. Yeah. It's just, uh, you know, obviously we know that it happens in today's leagues you know, whatever it, it tanking can never be forced because players still want to play. Would you agree? Agreed. And coaches want to keep their job. Yeah. Coaches want to win and, and players want to play and players want to compete. But you know, when you, when you stack the deck against your team, unfortunately there is such a thing called tanking moving into episode three, heavy, heavy, heavy Dennis Rodman episode talked a lot about the bad boys. And before we get too far, one of the things that's always brought up about the 80s and 90s basketball teams is that they played just lethal defense. The bad boys did. 100%, I'm here to say, yeah, I've, I've seen the documentaries. No, I didn't grow up watching them. 
but I've seen it. You know, I've seen the videos. Everybody else, show me a video where somebody's clotheslining Michael Jordan. It's just this 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 theory. <laughs> I'm gonna say theory because I don't believe it actually exists. That Michael Jordan played against the most lethal defenses week in and week out, when in fact he's going against these mailman and bread boys. <laughs> you know, I don't know. What what is your take on uh non bad boy defenses? What, what was what was your take on the beginning of that with, with the Rodman? It it I agree with you hundred percent. It's absolutely blown out of proportion. Outside outside of Detroit, every defense was the same. You know, maybe some teams were a little bit more physical than others and they took more pride in defense. You know, and you see that today a little bit, you know, some teams know like the Jazz, for example, they know they can. They're better at playing defense than they are at scoring, per se. But I mean, basketball is about scoring more points, and you know you're going to trust your shooters more. You're going to trust your defense more, and I think you usually see that with the offense and scoring. And I don't think, like you said, the outside of Detroit and that mentality, defenses were similar to they are today. Yeah, I just, uh, I just had a hard time with it, and. The bad boys, obviously, they brought a different intensity. And they show a lot of what Dennis Rodman was was like with those teams. Uh, high energy, very physical, him, Lambeer, all those guys, you know. And the Bulls obviously struggled to get past the Pistons, even though nobody really holds that against Michael Jordan. It's more or less, in my opinion, it's more or less congratulated. Oh, so you struggled with this team two years in a row and you finally beat him in year three. Great job. I, I don't know how you feel about that, but that's my personal opinion on the whole Jordan thing because everybody obviously likes to toot the whole 6-0 and in the finals. But it's like you struggled to get past the same team. It took you three years. Yeah, the the finals record gets blown of proportion. You know, I, I was doing some diving into those six um, finals teams, the, the series themselves. Um his first championship, Jordan's honestly, I know the, the, the last chance hasn't really gotten into all the championships yet. I think episode four touched on the first one a little bit. Um, but they played Magic's Lakers in that first finals. That was probably the best team they played. It, in my opinion, it goes downhill after that. And you look at those other finals teams they played, and you know, you could, you could bring up Utah that they had John Stockton and Carl Malone and whatnot. But you look at who Jordan had on his team, and it was Jordan, Pippen, Rodman, Kerr. You know, it, it was just a loaded roster. And, yeah, if you switch Jordan and LeBron out, yeah, LeBron's 6-0. and It, you know, Jordan wasn't playing a Warriors team that was four All-Stars deep. Yeah. So we're going to we're gonna touch on that. But, so – Isaiah Thomas was interviewed after episodes three and four on ESPN. And he actually said something that makes a lot of sense. And a lot of people are going to argue this. And I'm not sure. I'm not really sure why, because you sound silly when you try to, if you took six, nine, 265 pound LeBron James and inserted him in the Chicago Bulls lineup instead of Michael Jordan, or let's just not make this about LeBron James. You insert six ten, Kevin Durant. Or you insert six 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 Kobe Bryant. All those guys are going to succeed. I'm sorry, they were they were far and away the better team, especially the latter of the three of the uh, of the three peat the 
the the three and on the back end towards the last dance. They were they were so good. They were loaded. When you added Dennis Rodman, you added a Hall of Fame rebounder slash defender. I just your team's already very good. You're well coached. I don't know. I just had I had a hard time watching this because after episode four, and we're gonna we're gonna touch on episode four here just a second here, but Isaiah Thomas in the Pistons, they were truly very they were a good team. Obviously, they were dynasty. They won a couple of titles. Jordan finally got past them. Jordan had a good team too, though. I just this narrative that that you're you're undefeated in the finals, but you struggle to get past. I just I don't want this to go untouched. I, I personally believe that uh, every team struggles, whether you struggle in the finals or not. Every team's going to struggle at some point. And yeah, you're six and zero, but I mean, who did you play? When did you play them? Who was injured? Who wasn't? There's a lot of things to factor in. Would you agree? Yeah, and another and another point with that, you know, with that roster and how loaded his second three peat was for the the Bulls roster, you know, that shows that uh, Chicago was willing to bring players in. You know, they drafted well, obviously with Jordan, they were able to draft Pippen and pair them together, and then on that second three peat, they were able to bring in a Hall of Fame, you know, um, uh, Dennis Dennis Rodman, you know, probably at the time one of the best three point shooters, Steve Kerr. Um, LeBron's first stint in Cleveland, not to get too much on LeBron, but they weren't bringing guys into Cleveland. It was just him. They couldn't. So I don't see how you can compare that to any part of what Jordan had because Jordan was only there, what, two or three years until they drafted Pippen and look what, look what that got him. So, you know, you want to knock, you want to knock him for leaving. It was, you know, if you're not going to bring him guys, he's going to go get him himself. Yeah, the one story that I love to tell people, and this just goes to show you how how nobody wanted to go to Cleveland. So Michael Red, it was either in 2006 or 2007, the Cleveland Cavaliers had reached out to Michael Red. Michael Red was averaging roughly around 22 to 24 points a game. He was from Ohio State. He was a Buckeye. He refused to go to Cleveland. He wanted to stay with the Milwaukee Bucks, who, mind you, until Giannis got there, had never accomplished anything since Kareem was there. So it had been years. They were a train wreck. But he would have rather stayed in Milwaukee than join LeBron. Nobody wanted to go to Cleveland. Hell, I'd argue with you right now that till this day nobody has ever gone to Cleveland because really they drafted Kyrie, LeBron went back, and then they traded for Kevin Love. They, they were never able to sign anyone when LeBron was there. Ever. No. They were never able to. And Chicago, they just swoop right up and like, oh, Dennis, come on to Chicago and here he comes. You know, I I don't know. Again, we're gonna we're getting off track here, but episode four, it goes a lot into Phil Jackson and kind of showing you how he was hired and the firing of Doug Collins and all that. Um, and it, it shows that the team finally gets past Detroit. And they obviously get their shot at the title and it shows them beating the Lakers. One thing that I want to touch on here is, so when they beat Detroit, Detroit didn't shake their hands. They walked off the court. It actually went quite a bit into that. And I, I also seen an interview with uh, Isaiah Thomas today. One of the underlying factors that a lot of people forget about was the dream team. When he beat Jordan, when Jordan beat the Bulls or the Pistons, that 92 dream team squad, 
that did not include Isaiah Thomas because Jordan simply had his his problems with him. Isaiah Thomas was easily, easily a respectable player to put on that squad, and he was left off. You know, I I watched the interview with Isaiah, and Isaiah basically said, he goes, till this day, that's what we would have done. Would we do it differently today? Probably, just because of the reaction that it got. It's just crazy that – is it poor sportsmanship? I don't. I guess I don't know. I wasn't in the heat of the moment, you know. One second you're kicking some dude's ass, next second they're, they're beating your ass, and now you're trying to shake hands with them. I kind of get it. I kind of do. What yeah, your- and, you know, Isaiah actually touched on it in the – in the documentary in the last um, during that episode. Um, if you go back to when his Pistons got, cause so for Jordan, the barrier was the bad boy Pistons for the bad boy Pistons. Their barrier was Larry bird and the Celtics. And when they finally beat them in 88 or 89, whatever year it was at, to actually get to go to the finals, the Celtics did the same thing to them. So it kind of backs up that point of that's how it was in that era that when you were that top dog and they, you got upset by the, the, you know, you could say the superior team because they won, but the, you know, the yep, team that's I'm, been chasing you for so long. What was that? I said, yeah, I agree with you. The up and coming team, the team that's been nipping at your heels. Yeah. That you, you basically ignore them because you're pissed. And is that poor sportsmanship? I would say yes, but that was also the eighties and nineties. And that's a very different mentality and social norm versus, you know, 2020. So it's also poor sport. You, know, you, you have to flagrant foul somebody under the rim. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but they were all about that. You know, that was apparently respectable. I, I don't know. I mean, you, you can take it both ways. I mean, you can easily make the argument both ways. Yeah. The, the one thing I want I want to circle back to I think we somehow glossed over it so obviously the, the bad boys happened in the the late 80s into the 90s uh, you know Jordan gets his first time of 81 but the, the the documentary is actually about the last dance obviously there's a lot of things leading up to it what did you think about the whole Rodman fiasco where he comes in and basically says hey Scotty's back I need a vacation could you imagine in today's league I'm, I'm gonna just paint a picture for you uh, the only player that comes to mind when I think Dennis Robin for some reason is Draymond Green. Do I, am I am I in the ballpark there? That's probably about as close as you can get. Okay, so you got Draymond Green, and he goes to Steve Kerr and says, "Hey, I need a forty-eight hour binger in Vegas." What the? That would be national news. <laughs> what was your take on all that? I thought it was crazy. And real quick for Draymond, I think that'd be funny since Kerr was on that Bulls team and he's coaching the Warriors. So I think it'd be funny to be connected to both of those. Um, I was just dumbfounded. I'd, I'd heard of that story, so it was cool that it was in the documentary and got to you know get a little more information on it. Um, but you know, you're the second, you know, you're the number two, number three guy on the team, and to just say, just to go up and say I need a break, was just dumbfounding to me. Um, you know, I guess a normal person gets vacation. I guess athletes don't, but um, I was just shocked just to see how it played out. And I think it was funny that literally Jordan and Pippen had to go get him out of the hotel room and say, hey, you're coming to practice. The, um, the one thing that was not touched on, and I, I was disappointed, 
So obviously, you know, you know, I'm a wrestling fan. A lot of people that listen to this podcast know I'm a wrestling fan. So in the in the late 90s, 97, 98, 99, there was this thing outside of the WWE slash WWF. It was called the WCW. It was an alter program. Okay. And there was this worldwide group that is still very, very popular today, the NWO. As, mm-hmm. as a minor wrestling fan, you know what the NWO is, right? Yes. Okay. Dennis Rodman was actually a part of the NWO from 97 to 99. He would make brief appearances, even during the season. And matter of fact, in 98, they went up against the Utah Jazz who you're going to find out later in this documentary. Maybe, maybe it'll bring it up. Maybe I'm just jumping ahead and I, I don't know, but so obviously the bulls beat the jazz. Okay. Well, Rodman ended up fighting Carl Malone in a WCW ring, like a month or two later. It's just so funny that Rodman was so active and he's such a, such a, you know, dated Carmen Electra, you know, he part of the NWO you're taking 48 hour bingers in actually how long did it end up being I think it said in the documentary right yeah I think it ended up being like almost a week (laughs) oh goodness and I read I read somewhere today on the internet that so Carmen Electra his his girlfriend they admitted to having sex on the bills the bulls practice court (laughs) yeah I read that (laughs) Dennis Rodman was a wild dude. He, re- he really was. And that, that so far, that's been the funniest part of the documentary for me is just, yeah, we just don't have a personality like him. Obviously, I think Draymond's the closest as far as his intensity, the de- known for being defensive and, and being high energy. But we just don't have anybody like Dennis Rodman's personality in today's NBA. No, I think you can find some of those probably in the NFL. But in the NBA, there's not really any of those personalities. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on for the last dance? We've uh, kind of just gone over four episodes and given our opinions and kind of defended LeBron a little bit. Anything else you want to touch on? Um, one thing, two things. One, I really like how they do like the TV 14 and then the mature audience version. I like that it's relatively unfiltered. I agree. Um, and you just kind of get to, you just get to see the raw, you know, emotion and, you know, these interviews with these guys, you know, whether it's the, you know, the interviews from, you know, in the nineties or the interviews that they did recently. Um, I think that's been really cool how it's been unfiltered and you're just seeing, you know, it for what it is. Um, Let me stop you. Go ahead. Let me stop you. So yeah, I completely agree with you. I also, I really liked in episode four, I believe it was where Jordan, they asked Jordan about Isaiah. He basically goes, no, they were bitches, man. They shouldn't have done it, you know. And then he literally – so the guy that was interviewing Jordan basically gave him a tablet and said, hey, watch what Isaiah says. And then he elaborates even more. I thought that was interesting because it was so authentic. You know yeah. What I mean? Like this, yeah, it d- this is raw. This is how you truly feel. You're saying it right now. I just thought that was interesting. And I it, it plays to what you just said. It's just unfiltered, authentic raw this is how it is yeah i agree what else did you have the second thing is i'm i'm excuse me i'm pumped for episode five um apparently you're supposed to have your tissues um i guess kobe's heavily involved in this episode um they were able to you know do some interviews with him before his passing um and you know most people know the relationship those two had 
So I'm really excited to see the some of the behind the scenes of that. I did not. I, I knew Kobe was involved somehow. I did not know he's the next episode. That's got me very excited as well. A couple things I wanted to point out on this. So the episodes combined between the the edited and the unedited on ESPN and ESPN2, these are averaging over 6 million people per episode live, live audiences. It's the most viewed ESPN original broadcast ever. The first four episodes, respectively, are the highest highest four original broadcasts on anything non-sporting, live sporting event on ESPN. I think that's super cool. They've obviously done a hell of a job with it. And, uh, yeah, it gives us, gives us something to do when sports are not there, right? Yeah, I hope that – yeah, I, I think that speaks to, you know, how well they did it and the timing and how it was – you know, it's been 20-some years since, you know – the, the last dance actually was filmed. Um, I hope we see that with more athletes. Um, I've heard rumors that there was one with Kobe that he did a, you know, an all access thing similar to what Jordan did. Um, you know, I hope we start to see that with some of these, you know, high profile athletes that, you know, put in 15, 20 years that, you know, when it comes to that final year, we get to kind of see that farewell tour. Yeah. Obviously Kobe's will be in a completely different uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're just not in the same place in their careers. Obviously, Jordan left very early in his career, and he's competing for a championship. Kobe Bryant is is recovering from an Achilles injury. His team is very bad. They're basically a lottery team all year. But, uh, right. yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm actually very excited for it. I actually went to his last game in Detroit his last year. So, yeah, I, I think that would be a very good documentary if it was presented well. Obviously, the – the excitement of the team is not going to be there because they were, like I said, they're a lottery team all year, but uh, it would definitely be fun just to kind of see behind the scenes, Kobe. I'm, I've been enjoying behind the scenes, Michael and people. Yeah, for people sure. That watched Michael Jordan. I don't think really understood until you get to see the behind the scenes stuff. So we're yeah. going to move on to our NFL offseason winners and losers. I had you kind of go ahead and compile a list for me so that we can talk about it. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about your key additions, your key losses, your early draft picks, and that's going to factor in whether you're a winner, loser, or maybe even a dark horse. Okay. Grades are based basically on how much closer you are to contending for a championship this year. A dark horse would mean you're maybe improved, but your, your improvements probably aren't going to show right away. And our list is not going to contain the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because obviously they're probably a winner getting Tom Brady and Gronk. And they're not going to include New England because obviously you just lost a Hall of Fame quarterback and you lost a tight end. You haven't really filled that many holes. And we're also not going to include the Chiefs or the Niners because those are the two teams that were in the Super Bowls. Didn't really need a lot of holes because obviously you're about three months removed from competing at the highest level. So with that being said, let's talk winners. Give me a winner here. Who improved? Yeah. Um, no particular order on the rankings. Just going to kind of go down the list. Um, I think the Cleveland Browns were a major winner this offseason. Um, I think even before this offseason, they had a loaded roster. They were, you know, two or three running backs deep. They had a top 10 tight end. Probably the best receiving duo with OBJ and Jarvis Landry. And 
Um, a really, I, th- I think an upcoming off, uh, excuse me, defense. Um, I think they were really held back by their head coach. And I think that was a good move getting a new head coach in there. Um, but looking at the major additions they had, you know, adding Jack Conklin at uh, tackle, um, he can play both sides. Um, that was a really big weak spot for them. Um, you know, with a young quarterback like Baker. Um, and then Austin Hooper was a surprising one, but I thought it was really cool. Um, you know, it kind of reminds me of the, the 20, early 2010 Patriots with uh, Gronk and Hernandez. Um, I think that could be a really fun offense seeing those two big tight ends and then their two receivers, like I mentioned. Um, and then drafting, um, again, cleaning up the O-line with Jedrick Willis Jr., uh, tackle out of Bama. I thought that really kind of solidified both tackle spots for them for the foreseeable future. Um, and then adding Grant uh, Delpit, safety out of LSU, that was kind of one of their weak spots on defense was the back end. I think that is a day one starter that they got in the second round there. Um, the only losses they really had were at linebacker, Joe Schobert and Christian Kirksley. Um, obviously, you know, those are two pretty big pieces for them, but I think that's a minor hole in comparison to the O-line. So for them, I think they, they're a major win for me. couple things here. If you're a weekly listener, uh, Grant po- Grant Delpit went in the second round to the to the Browns, like you just said. On our mock draft we did last week with Brad, Brad actually had the Browns trading back into the first round to snatch Delpit. So Delpit is a first-round talent they're getting in the second round. A lot of executives and, and scouts said that this draft particularly had two rounds of first-round talent. So Delpit is a great pickup in the second round there. The thing I love the most about what the Browns did and it's highlighted completely in your front in your front five. You sh- you're a running team. You need to be a running team to be successful. They actually threw the ball 150 more times than they did run it last year, which is not the successful rate of a running team. You want to run more typically. Yeah. So what do they do? They go out and they sign Conklin from Jacksonville. They draft Jedrick Wills, who I personally believe they were going to take whatever tackle with that 10th pick, the best tackle available. They needed one. They got him. They added Austin Hooper, which was definitely a surprise, like you said, but you're going to have two tight ends. You still have Najoku, who, if healthy, can definitely definitely go vertical and spread the field for you. I don't know, man. I I like what the Browns are doing. I don't want – we have a new rule on this podcast. I'm not sure if you've heard me and Brad talk. The Browns are the Browns until they're not the Browns. But I 100% agree. <laughs> it's, just, hey, it's the rule, man. But I 100% agree. They are definitely a winner from this uh, this offseason. They have improved. And I already thought they had a top five roster. So definitely exciting for Browns fans if you guys are listening. Go ahead with your, uh, your next team. Uh, next, I'm going to stay in the AFC and go with the Denver Broncos. Um, they really only had one key loss. Uh, they lost Chris Harris Jr., cornerback. Um, he went to. Um, I think the Chargers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, obviously that's a you know that's a blow for them, but they replaced him with AJ Boye out of Jacksonville, and I think those two are almost identical talent wise. Um, so you got to wash there, and then adding Jarrell Casey at D tackle, uh, I think he's one of the top interior defensive linemen that really helps uh, clean up that interior of the defense. You know, you got Von Miller on the outside, um, good presence on the inside with Casey. And then adding Melvin Gordon to the backfield, I thought was awesome. Um, you know, you already had Philip Lindsay, who had br- had a breakout year a couple years ago. 
Um, that gives them a really good one-two punch um, at running back. And then in the draft, they just completely clean up the receiving core. Um, outside of Cortland Sutton, their, uh, their receiving core was kind of weak. And grabbing Jerry Judy in the first and then K.J. Hamler in the second or third, I don't recall. Um, but those are two guys that are going to start day one, I think. You know, I think you're going to put Judy opposite Sutton. Hamler's probably going to play inside a little more. Um, I thought that was a great offseason from them. Uh, you know, seven and nine last year. I think they definitely bump up a couple wins this year. And I think you're going to see them in the playoffs this year. I work with a couple Broncos fans. I have a couple Broncos fans that are friends. And anybody that I've talked to so far about this offseason slash the draft, I've told everybody that the Broncos are the most improved team over last year. And the one thing that you touched on, but there was no details, Jarrell Casey was traded for a very late-round pick. I want to say it was a fifth. It might even have been a sixth. They gave up almost nothing for him. He's a Pro Bowl defensive tackle. Melvin Gordon signed there for cheap simply because he wanted to play against the Chargers. They were able to get Jerry Judy for, for whatever stupid reason fell in the draft. I couldn't believe it. I, honestly, if you would have called up John Elway and said, hey, Jerry Judy's going to fall to you today, he wouldn't have believed you. I just I, I couldn't believe it. I think he went 20th, maybe 19th or 20th is where the Broncos ended up drafting. It was just it was unreal how late he went. Am I right on that? Did he go that late? Uh, I think it was lower than that in the teens, but yeah, it was still, he still definitely dropped more than he should have definitely dropped And KJ Hamler was a wide receiver that I was very excited to see where he landed because he's a shorter guy, but he's got burning speed. He's elusive. He's great with the ball. I don't know, man. I think the Broncos are, (laughs) they're going to be dangerous. And in their last five games last year, they went four and one. They were already improving late last year and they went out and got a ton of offensive help. In great defensive pieces. They, they added essentially two Pro Bowl caliber players on defense. I don't know, man. I just uh, – they're not beating the Chiefs. Not at least twice. They're not, they're not taking the division. But the Raiders, I'm sorry. They, they hopped the Raiders. The Chargers, I, we're going to touch on them in a minute, I'm sure. I think they're above the Chargers, man. I like what the Broncos did. I don't know. I'm uh, – Yeah, I'm I mean, the Broncos. I agree. If Drew Lock, if Drew Lock really is the answer here, um, I think this is a team to watch out for. Definitely not winning the division over Kansas City. You know they've earned that right to have that locked down. Um, but three wild card teams this year, I think they're definitely going to be one of them. Is it? I think it's completely fair to say if Drew Lock struggles this year, he's out. You've surrounded him with enough talent. Would you agree? You know what you have a quarterback at this point. Yes, unless injuries deplete this offense. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I just uh, – I can't see how Elway would have surrounded this guy with all these offensive pieces, and if he struggles, I can't see how you would stick with him. I'm not saying you cut him. I just don't think he's the start of the following year. I think I think he's given this full year, though, man. I really do, and I think uh, – I think – I'm sorry, but a, a six or seven or eight win season I think is underachieving for this team. I really do. I guess we'll see. That. If if Drew Lock if Drew Lock struggles with this offense, a healthy offense this year, um, look look for Denver to look at um, number twelve in Green Bay next year. Oh, look at you! Heard it here first. Here. Look at you coming out here with these bold statements. You know the crazy thing is they have the cap. 
they have the cap, and it's not an unprecedented move for them. They got Peyton a few years ago. Yeah, D- different situation. Be... But that was a you know a that was a quarterback away roster from winning a championship, and they they got their guy. Man, you're over here dropping blockbusters on us. All right, so who's your next team? Um, gonna go with the Indianapolis Colts here. Um, they lost uh, Jabal Sheer, defensive end. Uh, that was a big blow for them. I believe he's still a free agent, so he could technically be brought back, but uh, we'll, we'll call him a loss for now. Um, trading a first-round pick for DeForest Buckner, I actually like the move. Um, Pro Bowl, D-tackle, um, stud there in the, on the inside of the defense. I thought it was a really good move for a defense that needed some help with the run. And then I personally like the Phillip Rivers move. Um, I think he's a proven quarterback. Um, I think Indy knows they're not winning this year. That's why it's a one-year deal. Um, but it really helps them build a young core um, and help build up this young team to insert a quarterback like they drafted, which I'll touch on that. Um, in the draft, I to me, they were honestly my favorite draft. Um, no first-round pick because they um, had traded that for DeForest Buckner. And with their two second rounders, they got Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver out of USC, and Jonathan Taylor, running back out of Wisconsin. I think those are two guys that are going to start day one, um, or at least get you know their reps. I think they you know the, they might go two back system, but um, I just love those two moves in the second. And then Jacob Eason in the fourth, um, I was high on him. I think at four that was a great spot for him, and I think learning under Philip Rivers for a year and then handing the reins over to a offense that has learned from him, I think is going to really propel them. So one thing I want to touch on, you've, you've, you've named half of their quarterbacks and you named two. You did not name their other two quarterbacks they have on their roster, Jacoby Brissett and Chad Kelly. Who's the odd man out? Uh, Chad Kelly. Unless they can trade – Brissett, which I don't think he has the stock that he had a couple years ago when um, he was traded from New England. Outside of some trade for a team that really wants a QB2, um, I think Kelly's going to be the odd man out. Yeah, I definitely think Kelly gets cut. I just uh, I could also see a trade, though. I could see them getting down to two QBs. I really could. I guess it really depends on where they're at. The, the thing is, they just signed Brissett to a two-year extension. I believe he is. This is the the first year of that extension, though. So last year he was finishing up, and now it's this is year one. So the, I mean, they have some money to pay him. They're not paying him a ton. I think it's a seven-year deal, if I'm not mistaken. Two years at fourteen. I think he's getting. So I mean, they're not paying him a ton of money, but uh, something to look out for. I don't know. I. I'm not as high on the Colts as you are here. I believe that their upgrades aren't great. They traded their first-round pick for DeForest Buckner. It made sense because they had the cap space to sign him to a long-term deal. So I do like that. I do like Michael Pittman Jr., though I don't know. He's a great number two for T.Y. Hilton. I like Jonathan Taylor, but like you said, they're going to be a running back by committee. I don't see him being an every-down back there, even though he's capable of it. I'm not saying he's not. I don't like Rivers. I just don't. And much like the reason that a lot of players are getting rid of their quarterbacks that are old or non-mobile, Jacob Eason's a non-mobile quarterback. So, really, you're 
you just signed an old quarterback and then you drafted a quarterback that can't move. So you're just not adapting with the times. You're just you're you're staying put on we're gonna win with stationary quarterbacks. I don't know. I just don't love it. I uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm weird here because obviously you know as you know I'm a Tom Brady guy and Tom Brady's been stationary his whole life. But I don't love this move. I don't think the Colts are trending in the right areas. And uh, I don't know. I just don't love them. I see, yeah, I see I just, why you would put them as a winner because they they did add things that they needed to add. I just don't know that those are the, the right things to add. I'm not as high on them as I am Denver. I think one factor I want to add for them is, too, is look at the division they're in. I think they're. Oh, yeah. I think that's a weaker division. I think they made some moves that are going to – allow them to compete for the division oh they could 100 percent win 10 to even I, this is a high number that might shock some people i think they could win 12 games because their roster is talented enough i just don't think it's a long-term success that's my only thing i think their ceiling is honestly probably 10 wins but i think they could easily get to that 10 wins too i think they're going right. to be at nine to ten wins i really do and nine to ten wins can win that division like you just said so yeah. Who is your who's your next team? Next here is again sticking in the AFC here. Um the Los Angeles Chargers. Um I think they made a ton of good moves. Um they they traded Russell Okung for um Tri Turner uh guard from Carolina, I believe. Um obviously that gives them a hole on the outside of the offensive line, but it gives them a Pro Bowl caliber guard. And then that was going into a draft that was loaded at tackle, which they didn't go that direction, obviously, with the Justin Herbert pick. Um, but signing Brian Balaga, a uh, tackle out of Green Bay, I think that really cancels out the Okun loss. Um, so you're looking at a strength in O-line there for um, with their quarterback, which is going to be – wow, I'm losing the name here uh, – Tyrod Taylor. Um, and then adding Chris Harris Jr. to a loaded – defensive backs already um derwin james already back there i'm losing the the names on the corners but um loaded defensive backs there i love that move um obviously they lost philip rivers um you know he was like 38 years old so it's not a huge loss for them you got tyrod taylor for a year or two grooming justin herbert i think that's going to be a great transition um, and then losing Melvin Gordon hurts a little bit, although he was gone half the year last year anyways. And Austin Eckler is more than proven to be a running back one in this league. Um, and then in the draft, again, I've said a couple times here, Justin Herbert, I was really high on him. Um, I was actually wanting him in Miami. Obviously, they went in a different direction. Um, but I think they got – I think they for sure got their future quarterback there. And then I really like them trading back into the first to get Kenneth Murray, uh, linebacker out of Oklahoma. They already had a really good front seven there with uh, Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. Um, and their, their DBs are probably one of the better ones in the league. I thought that was a really good way to um, fix the middle of the defense there and bring it together. Yeah, so as a New England Patriot fan, having the 23rd pick, Kenneth Murray was falling to us. He was, he was actually projected to go there. I shouldn't say he was falling. But it was suiting up that the Patriots were going to be able to pick him. We lost two linebackers. I was pretty excited about it. And I'm like, great, we're getting Murray, we're getting Murray. And we trade out of the pick to the Chargers. The, Cur- the Chargers picked Murray. So that was, a little, that was a little disappointing. But I don't know. I think uh, I like that the Chargers – What I like all their offseason moves. I like they got rid of Rivers. 
Let Melvin Gordon walk. He, he pretty much skipped camp on you and skipped half the season on you. Let him walk. And I like bringing in Justin Herbert. I think he has a shot to start day one. It would not shock me if he did. I don't see it happening, but I, it would not shock me. And personally, I think they have the talent around him to let him start week week one. And I think he could probably win eight to ten games. Yeah, I, I just think that right now, I think this is honestly a contending roster. Um, and that's kind of besides the point. I've always been a big proponent of not starting your rookie quarterback day one. Um, you know, you see the teams that have taken quarterbacks high and let them sit, and it usually works out pretty well. You know, you got Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay who sat for a few years behind Favre. You got um, Pat Mahomes who sat behind Alex Smith for a year. That obviously has worked out great. Um I'm just a fan of having a, you know, a veteran who knows a thing or two about the NFL and, you know, just letting them have a year and letting that rookie just sit back and get accustomed to the NFL, get accustomed to the playbook. Um, and then year two, kind of letting them loose, handing them the keys and saying, you know, this is your team. The only thing is, and I agree with you, but the thing that I think you kind of missed the boat on right there is teams that draft quarterbacks high, don't usually let them sit because they can't because they're bad. The teams that draft quarterbacks low. So Rodgers actually fell in the draft. Pat Mahomes, they traded up to get. So those are kind of different situations. I don't think that the Chargers are in that situation. Personally, do I think Tyrod Taylor can win in this league? Yes, but define win. I think he's, I think he's probably 10 wins max. Justin Herbert, if he can get familiar with his offense and, and sling the ball around, Dude, this team honestly could win 12 games. I, I mean, it's crazy to think, but they have a talented roster, like you just said. I don't know. I uh, I could see him starting no later than week five. I really can. Uh, it wouldn't shock me if they let Tyrod go the whole year and sit him. I just don't see that being the trend that people usually roll with, you know? So. Yeah, I just think if you have the opportunity um, to do that, you should. No, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. But also, Super Bowl windows are very short. Not everybody, and this isn't a plug, but not everybody's the New England Patriots. 20 mm-hmm. years is, is – is, that's. I'm sorry, that doesn't happen. Most right. Super Bowl windows three to five years. And if the, the Chargers have that kind of roster and you have your quarterback on a rookie contract, you, you got you to gotta pull some plugs. You got to throw some punches. So that's just my yeah. take, but – Moving on, do you have another winner for us? Yeah, it's my last winner. We're gonna we're gonna finally go to the NFC here. Um, I think the New Orleans Saints hit it out of the park. Um, they lost Von Bell, safety, um, out of Ohio State. Um, obviously, that's a big blow. But they replaced him with Malcolm Jenkins, um, same position. He's a veteran. He's a little bit older, um, but still a very good safety in this league. Um, and then Jameis Winston. I like the move. He was cheap. It's a good backup. It kind of cancels out the Teddy Bridgewater loss. Um, obviously, they don't really want to see him in action. They'd love to see Drew Brees there the whole year. Um, but I think as a number two, that's a definitely a serviceable option. And I think one of the most glaring needs they had was wide receiver. Um, obviously, they have one of the best number ones in Mike Thomas. Um, but they their number two was non-existent. Um, and signing Emmanuel Sanders, I thought, was the perfect move for them. Um, he fits that offense. He's definitely a number two receiver in this league. Um, 
great move there. And then in the draft, adding Cesar Ruiz, uh, center out of Michigan, to help you know an aging Drew Brees, give him some pass protection. And then Zach Vaughn, linebacker out of Wisconsin. Um, I think he's going to also be another day one starter there for that defense. Um, yeah, I mean, this was a team that was 13-3 and last year. I think they're going to probably be in that same ballpark. Um, the couple holes they had, they filled. And I could just as easily see them win the conference as the Niners. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add on this. Um, they're already a very good team. Uh, they're a playoff team pretty much year in, year out the last couple of years. They did also extend Taysom Hill for a contract extension, who's actually making more than Jameis Winston. So it'll be interesting to see how much they use Taysom Hill or, in fact, Jameis Winston. Um, but I love the Emmanuel Sanders move. Completely agree there. Michael Jenkins is probably a slight upgrade, at least in the immediate future over Von Bell. Von Bell obviously being younger. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't disagree but not a whole lot to add because they are such a good team. How about some losers? You got any losers for us? I love hearing about losers. Yeah, I got a few. Um, you know, these are teams that I think just really whiffed on this offseason. Um, some of these teams actually had contending rosters and just did not at all fill in the holes they needed to. Um, I'm going to start with the Carolina Panthers. Um, going from Cam Newton to Teddy Bridgewater, you know, I think I think right now it's kind of a coin flip. Um, the last time we really saw Teddy Bridgewater start for a non-elite roster like the Saints was with the Jets and was not very good. Um, Russell Okun, I like the ad. Um, you know, it protects you know protects your quarterback. Um, I'm just not a huge fan of it. Um, just based on all the glaring needs they really have, and then. I did like the Robbie Anderson ad. Um, that is another receiver they need. They don't really have a ton of receivers. Um, you could argue their best receiver is their running back, Christian McCaffrey. Um, and then I just thought they had a lot of losses on the team. You know, Gerald McCoy, D-tackle, uh, Greg Olson, tight end. I just thought those were some guys that have really anchored that team and um, provided some veteran leadership. And for uh, with a new coach and, a, you know, some trying to bring in young guys, I just – wasn't a fan of what they did there. And then in the draft, actually all seven picks were defense. And I think they just have so many glaring holes on offense. This is just not a team that's going to put up points. You know, Christian McCaffrey is obviously a fantasy football machine, but, you know, outside of that, I just don't trust this team to, you know, put up points against some of these other high powered offenses. Get ready for this. I 100% disagree with you. <laughs> really? Yes. I I actually uh, you know, I, I have your winners and losers in front of me so we can talk. When you sent this to me, I thought I thought the Carolina Panthers were included in the winners. Maybe it's just me. Here's the thing. Let me I'm going to break this down. Gerald McCoy, he left. He went to the Cowboys. He was old. He was aging. Great player for them. He was on a, basically a one-year prove it deal. Ends up going to the Cowboys. It's uncontrollable. They traded Turner, their Pro Bowl guard, for Russell Okun, another Pro Bowl lineman. That was honestly probably not the best trade, but they saved some cap room there. Okay. Greg Olson retires on them. Cam Newton had kind of, I'm not going to get a ton into Cam Newton and his locker room, cancer or not cancer, what you think about, I don't, whatever. 
Cam Newton hasn't really played for them in over a year. He played like one or two games this year, struggled. They had booty quarterbacks all year. They didn't have good quarterback play. And then they lost their, in my opinion, Hall of Fame linebacker, Luke Keekley. And he retired. There's nothing you can do there. Those are all those are all losses. You're right. 100% on those. But Teddy Bridgewater played really, really, really good for the Saints. And it made us think maybe in the right offensive system, you can win. They go out and they get a an offensive coach. Okay. They extended Christian McCaffrey. They added Robbie Anderson to already pair with Curtis Samuels and gosh, who's their other receiver? I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, it's Devin Funches. No, no. DJ Moore. DJ Moore was in the top five in receiving yards last year. They have three very good possession receivers. Nobody that's really going to beat you over the top. Robbie Anderson can kind of go over the top, but they're going to, I think they're going to throw it in a, in a, a very small dink and dunk New England type offense. You know, I don't know. And then I loved their draft. They go out and they get a bunch of defensive pieces because they lost defensive pieces. Uh, maybe, I don't know, man. I lo- I'm completely flipped script in what you think on this. And I, you know, I'm not going to disagree with you a ton here, but uh, the Carolina Panthers, I do. I'm high on the Panthers this year. I think they have a culture change. Not that their culture was bad but you bring in a new coach, they might struggle because it's a new offense and you got new players all around. They might, but I don't think they're going to get blown out in every game. I think they're going to compete. I think they have, they, they should, in my opinion, they can make me be a dark horse. I think they're good enough to at least be a dark horse of a team that can compete or be good in two or so years. I think to, I like the Teddy Bridgewater move and yeah. All right. I mean, I, yeah, I like Bridgewater. I like McCaffrey. So, you know, I'd like to see them win. So I wouldn't mind to be wrong here. I just I just didn't love their offseason. Okay, yeah. Well, hey, hopefully the uh, listeners want us to disagree. So give me give me your next one. Uh, I'm going to go Chicago Bears here. Um, you know, I think they've had a really talented roster here. Um the offense needs a couple pieces. Obviously, quarterback's been an issue for them. They could really use another receiver. Um, they haven't touched the receiver category. Um, and then Nick Foles, I get he was a Super Bowl MVP on that that Philly squad, but I don't think he's a QB1 in this league anymore. And having him and Mitch Trubisky as your quarterback options, I just – I don't love it at all. Um Jimmy Graham at tight end. I think that's a good move like six years ago. Um, I just don't think he is who he was anymore. Um, I like the Robert Quinn move. Um, I think he is still a good defensive end in this league. Um, But pass rush has not been a weakness of theirs, you know, having Khalil Mack there. Um, Defensively, they lost HaHa Clinton Dix and Prince of Mukamara. That's obviously going to hurt on the back end. Um, But obviously you can't control guys, you know, leaving a free agency. Um, one thing that jumps out to me for the bears and they, they mentioned this on the draft cast, uh, this past weekend, 11 tight ends on the roster right now. That just doesn't make sense to me. So I, I don't know what Chicago is doing. I, I don't like their off season. So I'm going to defend them a little bit. I agree. First off, let me say, I agree, but I'm going to defend them a little bit. They upgraded quarterback. I know it's not. It's not a great upgrade, but they upgraded quarterback, in my opinion. 
bringing in Nick Foles is better than Mitch Trubisky. So I'm going to defend him there. Okay. Jimmy Graham, why in the hell did you sign Jimmy Graham if you're already loaded at tight end and you planned on signing Cole Komet out of Notre Dame? What are you thinking? What is, what is your mindset? I just want to slap the GM. Okay. Robert Quinn, he led the Cowboys in sacks last year. That's a great move. But if you're going to spend cap, maybe you should go out and get a receiver because you're struggling to pass the ball. And I agree with you. You already have Cleo Mack. But I do like the Robert Quinn signing. That makes your pass rush second to literally none. Their pass rush is – Agreed. No, I agree with that pick. Yep. So, the Jalen Johnson draft, I think – did he fall to the third? He go in the second. Do you know? Do you have that in front of you? Uh, it was second round. Second? Okay. Jalen Johnson, in my I, in my mock draft, I had him going in the, fir- the late first round. Jalen Johnson's a first-round draft pick, in my opinion. That's a great pickup for them. That replaces Prince right away. Probably even an upgrade. It's hard to say because he's never played it down, but I do like that pick. I just I want to circle back. Why the hell, if you're going to draft Cole Komet, are you signing Jimmy Graham? Or, or fine, if you, you like Jimmy Graham, why are you drafting Cole? Let him go. Trade down. I just The Bears, I just want to smack him upside the head. Like, what are you doing? I, yeah, and that's and, you know that that's a division I think is going to be wide open here in a couple of years. Um, I just don't like what they did at all. Yeah, they're they're they solidified themselves as the fourth best team in that division, which they already were in my opinion. Detroit had a, a quarterback out all year. Now the Stafford's, back. which is sad because Detroit's in the division. Yeah, they're uh, yeah they're they're the fourth best team in that division. Who's your next team? Um. It's kind of an obvious one. I think most people question a lot of their moves here. Uh, Houston Texans. Um, they traded DeAndre Hopkins for nothing. I know they got David Johnson in a second-round pick. I, I don't see the comparison there at all. David Johnson was injured last year. He has a big contract. Um, yeah, second-round pick's all nice and dandy, but for probably the number one or number two receiver in this league, you should have gotten a a chest full of picks or something for that. Um, I get they added Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks. Um, this is Brandon Cooks, what, like fourth team in five years, something like that. Um, yeah, he just kind of seems to – go ahead. I, I was just going to – yeah, I was piggybacking on what you said. I think the only team that he played two years with is the Rams. They absolutely, obviously, he played a couple years with the Saints, traded in New England. After one year, he was traded to the Rams. He's played – I think he played two years with the Rams. And now he's traded again to Houston. So, you know, a lot of his – it's not – he hasn't been traded because of his on-the-field productivity. It's really his his injury history slash his cap hit, I think, is really what uh, has been getting him traded around. Yeah, so it, for me it's more just, you know, you don't want to pay DeAndre, but you want to trade for these contracts of David Johnson and Brandon Cooks. I think combined it's still less productivity than you'd get out of DeAndre Hopkins. Um, and then they did add Randall Cobb. So, you know, two decent receivers, but I don't think either of them is a number one anymore. Yeah, you know, it'll, the Texans are going to be interesting. You lose you lose a top two receiver in this league, top three at the minimal, okay? And you bring in Cobb, who's – he's past his days. He's still a productive receiver, but he's past his elite days. You bring in Brandon Cooks, who we just don't know what you're getting anymore. And your other receiver, who plays outside of Hopkins, has been um, 
Will Fuller hasn't been able to stay on the field. You just don't have any you don't have any credible wide receivers to play with right now. And your running back can't stay on the field. I just you know, the Houston Texans, they're a dumpster fire. Except the dumpster is on a hill and it's tumbling down rapidly. Agreed. You know, I, I like their I like their pick, Ross Blacklock. Cool. You still suck. I, I just yeah, completely agree. Let's move on. I don't want to diss them anymore. They're trash. What the Rams? That's your next one, right? Yeah, that's my um that's my last um loser here this offseason. And I think it's just been a crazy, you know, fall from heaven or plummeting down a hill, whatever you want to call it. You know, this is a team that two years ago was in a shootout on Monday Night Football with Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs and then went to the Super Bowl and it was a 13-3 to score to New England. That's a respectable game. I think this team is closer to the number one pick than a Super Bowl right now. Um, they added Leonard Floyd, outside linebacker. Um, decent pick, nothing flashy there. But you look at who they lost this offseason, whether it was, you know, cap casualties or retirements or free agency. Um, you know, they built this philosophy of adding guys to one and two year deals because they thought they were in their Super Bowl window. And I think they blew it once as soon as they paid all these guys. Um, losing Dante Fowler, Michael Brockers, Eric Weddle, safety, Todd Gurley, and Clay Matthews. Those were five starters for them last year, and they're gone. Um, and this was already a team that didn't make the playoffs. So I think this team is just free-falling at this point. I will say this. They upgraded running back. Letting Todd Gurley yeah, can't... matters pretty much nothing. They're going to they're gonna take some dead money cap hit, but they're going to save in the cap long term and bring in a rookie, a rookie running back that you can actually physically put 25 carries on a game that's that is a a plus. So I'll give them that. They did they did get better there. I do also think that Leonard Floyd is better than Clay Matthews. So they got better there. But I agree with you that their team is just they're just they're stumbling at this point. You know, somebody that you didn't even say that they lost was Cooks and they lost Cooks too. And it's just like Yeah, I just thought of that. Yeah, I just there's too many losses to even name, so I don't blame you. They're just they're a mess. They're a mess. They truly are. Yeah. But I will say this. The one thing they needed to fix was Gurley. I'm I'm intrigued to see if they're as bad as we think they are. I think they're actually going to be a bit better than we think they are. But personally, I don't know about you, I put them at five wins. So maybe they're a seven-win team. Okay. I mean, yeah, I, I it, you kind of touched on the Cam Akers pick. You know, I, I actually kind of followed him this year because I had him in – I did a college fantasy football year in it too – um, I actually had on my roster, and he was, you know, fun to follow. But um, it just mind boggles me that this team was in the Super Bowl two years ago. Yeah, I just, I just don't think they're there anymore. Well, like you just, like you just pointed out, they were in the Super Bowl with a rookie head, a rookie deal at, at quarterback. They had just freshly paid their running back, so he really hadn't that hadn't the cap hit hadn't hit yet. Then you had a. Uh, a wide receiver who you had just signed, who the cap hadn't hit till the following year. So they had a lot of players on a one- and two-year deals, like you just said, at high cap hits. I think Ndamukong Sue was on there. 
they were paying uh, Donald on there. And now they just have too many cap hits that they're they're struggling with. And now they're going to have to suck some dead money in order to get themselves right again. So. Yeah, the, yeah, they got a money pit they got to dig out of because they, they were just giving money out hand over fist for a couple years there. And it unfortunately only got them one Super Bowl appearance. Yeah, you're a Colin Cowherd guy, as am I. He always he always jokes that the the Rams have been using using a checkbook that nobody else has. <laughs> you know, because they li- yeah, absolutely they literally it just seems like every day they're signing a new player. It's like, where the hell did you get that money? Nobody else has this kind of money, and you do. So they're just using a checkbook that's either not theirs or is just much higher than anybody else's, even though they're not allowed to buy your checkbook. Uh, all right, so. That's we got some winners, we got some losers. Well, I think the only thing we've disagreed on so far is the Panthers. Give me, give me your dark horses. Yeah, um, I got two teams here that I don't think. Uh, I think one of these are going to actually be surprising. These are two teams that I don't think are competing for a championship this year. Um, but I think if the way they drafted and built their rosters this this off season work out, um, I think you're going to see some long term success with these two teams. Um, I'm going to start with the homer pick with my Miami Dolphins. Um, I've been pretty down on my team pretty much my whole life. Um, we've been pretty much irrelevant. Um, but bringing in Brian, Brian Flores at coach and Chris Greer last year, I think has been awesome. And I think you saw it with this off season, um, adding Jordan Howard, um, at running back on a two year cheap deal, trading for Matt Breida, who I believe is still on a rookie contract, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think that's a really good one-two punch, um, not overpaying for a position that's devalued. Um, signing Byron Jones at corner, um, you know, playing opposite Xavier Howard or potentially going back to safety just due to the our depth at corner, um, I think is a very New England-esque type of move. And obviously, New England with DBs worked out pretty well for the last 20 years. Um, just loved all the additions they made in the free agency. And for key losses, I think this is one of the only teams that you could basically put an X through it. Um, the only guys we really lost were during the season last year in trades, cleaning up the locker room, cleaning up the cap space. Um, any key piece we sell on the team, granted, there were not that many. Um, really no losses on our roster. And then I'm excited for the – uh, this rookie class that we're bringing in. Um, obviously, Tua, you know, there's hype on him. There's concerns on him. Um, I don't expect him to see the field this year. We still have Ryan Fitzpatrick for one more year. I think we'll sit him back because this team still does have a few holes to, holes to fill in. Um, but I think that's a really good guy to learn from. Um, Austin Jackson out of USC at tackle. I think that's a, you know, a great pairing with Tua to protect his blind side and uh, develop those two guys together. And, you know, n- next year we still have two two first-rounders, two seconds. Um, I think that's where you'll see kind of some of those final holes get filled. And I'm really excited to see where we go these next few years. 100% agree with everything you said. The only thing I was critical on, because I thought they had the best – obviously it's easy to have the best draft when you have three first-round picks. I thought they had the best draft. But the one thing that just stood out and I did not understand it you already have two Pro Bowl-esque corners. And they drafted another corner in the first round, and I just wasn't sure why. Either trade out, draft someone else, 
I don't know. It just didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. There was uh, there was a lot of corner depth in this draft. And the one thing I'll say, if, if maybe they wanted a third corner, is for, and I, I think the Raiders started this. The Raiders drafted uh, Dame, is it Damon Ameta out of Ohio State? Damon Arnett. Okay. They, they drafted him, and that started a whirlwind of corners being taken. They were just flying off the board at the end of the first round. So I almost wonder if that's why Miami took Noah. And it just it just didn't make sense to me because they didn't need another corner. I was like, this is the one pick that I just don't get. There's there's depth here. There's wide receiver because they, they needed another wide receiver, in my opinion. I just uh, – I was confused. Yeah, one thing to look for, though, too, is um, Byron Jones at UConn actually played for safety and corner. And then actually for a year or two in Dallas, he also played safety. Um, and that is a need for Miami with – trading Minka Fitzpatrick last year and cutting Rashad Jones, um, you could see Byron potentially move back there. Okay. Okay. Well, that, you know, that explains a lot. See, that's why I'm not the GM of a team. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that Other is why. That, love what Miami's doing. They're honestly just a couple of years away from being an elite squad in this league. You got another dark horse for me? Yeah, I think uh, this is a little controversial one. Uh, I'm going to go Green Bay Packers here. Um, losing Brian Bulga, tackle. They replaced him with Rick Wagner. Uh, went to Wisconsin, grew up in Wisconsin, so it's a hometown guy. Um, I don't think it's necessarily an upgrade, but it still solidifies the tackle position. Um, they finally get out of the Jimmy Graham contract. The production just did not at all match the contract. Um, and get Mercedes Lewis. You know, he's an aging tight end, but you know, he, he's serviceable enough. Um, I like, I really like the Christian um, Kirksey pick or um, excuse me, free agent signing linebacker from Cleveland. Um, obviously they had been missing some holes at linebacker since um, Clay Matthews had left. I think he's going to come in and fill that void. Um, and then I'm really high on their draft. I know everyone's wondering, you know, you have Aaron Rodgers now, why not get him a receiver in a deep receiver class? Um, I just don't think this roster today is going to beat the New Orleans and the San Francisco's of the world. Um, you know, I don't have the exact numbers, but Green Bay played San Francisco twice this year. They played them in the regular season and in the playoffs. And both games, it was like 28 to 3 or 28 to 7 at half, something crazy like that. Both games, um, they didn't make enough moves to compete this year, but I think with Jordan Love developing behind Rodgers for a year and A.J. Dillon running back out of Boston College, I think those are going to be – that's going to be the backfield in Green Bay. And, you know, I could see a couple of these teams next year. I kind of touched on uh, Denver. Um, you know, if Dak doesn't work out, you have Dallas. I could see a couple of these loaded rosters that are quarterback away potentially trading for Rodgers next year and saying we can win now with Aaron Rodgers. And I think – they would get a King's ransom for him. And I think this is going to work out for him long-term. Yeah. I actually liked the Jordan love pick. It cracks me up because all the people that don't like the Jordan love pick are the same people that probably didn't like the Aaron Rodgers pick when Favre was the quarterback. So, you know what? Jordan love was a first round player. I understand you traded up for him. Maybe you're, you're not happy with the trip. Jordan Love's going to be a pretty good player, especially if he gets to truly sit behind Aaron Rodgers 
like we expect them to. I actually like the pick as well. I think Green Bay is still a playoff team. Dark horse to be really good. It's a great fit that you have them in here. I completely agree. Yeah, and, you know, people are hyped on this wide receiver class again next year. Apparently it's supposed to be just as deep as it was this year. Um, you know, I think with a young quarterback, I could see them getting that getting that receiver help um, when it comes to Jordan Love. And, I, you know, I am a, a believer in the conspiracy that um, they're going to use Rodgers for a year, and I think they're going to try to get out of that contract. Yeah, you know what? Uh, who did you who did you throw him out to? The Broncos. Denver, if Drew Locke struggles, and the Cowboys, if Dak Prescott oh, struggles. Oh, the Cowboys! You know that wouldn't be crazy because of uh, McCarthy and all. <laughs> yeah, that's my one hindrance there. But everything. Rodgers wants you know he wants to be in a bigger city and have more spotlight he wants to have receivers and a loaded offense Cowboys have all that and they play in a dome they don't play in cold you know Green Bay I I think that offense would just be disgusting but you know apparently you know Jerry likes Stack and they want to pay him I don't think he's worth it I think if you're gonna pay that much money you might as well get Rodgers and uh, win now with this roster you got yeah 100% agree It'll be interesting because if I'm Jerry Jones, now that the Packers drafted Jordan Love, I ain't signing Dak Prescott past a one-year deal. He's getting this. He's getting no. this, and I'm trying everything in my power to get Rodgers next year. Yeah, we've seen some crazy um, trades with draft picks, usually for other draft picks. You know, you know, comes to mind Washington moving up for RG3, the Saints moving up for Reggie Bush, stuff like yeah. that. Um, I think we would see an unprecedented um, picks involved for a trade for Aaron Rodgers to Dallas. Yeah, because I, I personally believe that Rodgers probably has five more years left, at least. So, yeah, a first round pick in this league is worth four years. A Super Bowl is worth what's a Super Easily. Bowl worth? Ten. It's priceless. priceless. It's literally priceless. And Jerry Jones wants one more before he dies. He wants one more before he. Before he dies or hands over the keys, he wants one more. Aaron Rodgers would sure as hell get you close there. So, well, man, what do you think? We just uh, we just broke down all the winners, losers, dark horse, last dance. Pretty good episode, do you think? Yeah, um, I'm I'm ready for NFL season to start. This um, all this stuff going on needs to end, and we need to get football going. I cannot wait till those days are upon us. Until next time. Thank you for joining me. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Yeah, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Andrew Bradish, um, on Twitter at Bradish42. Um, Instagram, I think it's the same handle there, Bradish42. Um, love to talk sports with anyone. Hit me up, text me, message me, whatever. Um, yeah, yeah thanks for having me. You guys, I brought on the real AB, not the nutcase that left the Raiders. If you guys need anything else, let me know. I'll see you next time. Take care, man. Yep, thanks, you too.